0: So the Bible reading this morning, um, from the book of John, chapter 4, reading verses 1 to 42. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles, page 1131, otherwise it's up there on the screen. John, chapter 4, verses 1 to 42. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptising more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptise but only his disciples, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Then Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labour. Others have laboured and you have entered into their labour. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world.
1: Uh, well, good morning everyone. Uh, as you heard before, my name's Phil, uh, and in the Darling Downs Press Bridge today we're having a pulpit swap. Uh, uh, Josh is out at Gundawindi, and I'm here today, and it's a wonderful thing uh, to be a part of this network of churches. Um, Let me start by telling you a little bit about, uh, today I'm going to be uh, preaching from the book of John, and at Christ's Life we've been going through the book of John. And the book of John, we're told by John, who is one of Jesus' best friends, he wrote Jesus' biography out, and we're told that he wrote it so that you may believe, so that you may believe in Jesus and find eternal life. And so today we see that only in Jesus do we find real and lasting satisfaction. Jesus is the only one who can quench our thirst. What are we hear for on the kids' talk? Not the thirst of our throats, not the thirst of our bellies, the thirst of our hearts, the thirst of our souls. And the whole way through, uh, as we've been doing this series at Christ's Life, we've been looking at believing in Jesus, but also at the false beliefs of the world and comparing them. And the false belief of our world today is that we can find any true and lasting satisfaction outside Jesus. So we're comparing true and lasting satisfaction in Jesus, thirst, quenching the thirst of our souls, and finding any lasting satisfaction outside Jesus. Uh, Because uh, today is all about... Excuse me. Sorry. I'm just a bit thirsty. Mmm. thirst. We all know what that feels like, right? We've all been thirsty, a hot day gardening, something like that. We all get thirsty. But there is a greater thirst, our thirst for God. Our hearts were made for God and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in Him. Someone once said, as humans, we should be called homo thirstius because we have this inbuilt desire for God. This desire that we desperately try to satisfy in all the things of the world, but none of them truly satisfy. Let me uh, illustrate this. Um, Back in the Northern Territory, the Northern Territory is a very hot place, I was bushwalking with some of my mates. Uh, It was the middle of the day and we were out of water in our water bottles. We had nothing left. uh, And we didn't know how far away we were for our destination that night. And so as we were walking along, we come to this stagnant stream And we're kind of faced with this choice. Do we drink from this stagnant stream? And it looked terrible, but also kind of wonderful. It was wet and cool, but also muddy, with a kind of a bit of a smell. What should we do? What would you do? Well, I'll tell you what we did. We were so thirsty, we drank from it. And it was awful. It was bitter and foul. But our thirst just drove us on. Drove us on uh, that we couldn't think of anything more than drinking. But the more we drank, the worse we felt. Till we almost felt like vomiting. It was bitter and terrible. But that's what our thirst drives us to do, doesn't it? To do crazy things. And our soul's thirst for God, and we try to satisfy that in so many things of the world. It drives us to try and satisfy our world, our, th- our soul in things that just get bitterer and bitterer and bitterer uh, like that stagnant water so where do you look for satisfaction in this world where do you look in perhaps in a better lifestyle maybe in the next holiday I'll go next slide thanks Uh, maybe in the next holiday uh, maybe if only I wasn't so busy well in today's passage uh, we meet a woman who thirsts and she's been desperately trying to satisfy her deep longing for God in all the wrong places and specifically in her relationships with men we too look to satisfy this inbuilt desire for God in anything but God and then Jesus steps in to satisfy our thirst to save us from trying to quench our thirst in this world let's pray as we begin Lord we are thirsty we thirst for you We live in a dry and barren land. And as the deer pants for the water, so we long for you. We plunge our hands now into your cool and refreshing word. May we drink from your word today. Refresh us by your word, we pray. Amen. Uh, In today's uh, talk, we're going to have three points uh, that you'll see up there on the screen. Uh, And our first point, Jesus gives living water uh, to the spiritually thirsty. Uh, the meaning of the well. So John sets the scene for us in verses 1 to 6. Jesus is a rising star. He's now more famous even than John the Baptist. Uh, But conflict is brewing with the Pharisees. So Jesus heads back to Galilee, but he decides to go through Samaritan land. And this is risky because the Samaritans hated the Jews and the Jews hated the Samaritans. And As he's travelling, he comes to a city and the well outside the city, uh, and it's hot, and he flops down by the well, and we're told it's noon, the hottest time of the day, and he's ner- and he is thirsty. Notice in your Bibles verses five and six, Jacob from the Old Testament gets mentioned twice. Why that detail? It's worth remembering in the Book of John, the details really matter. Well, we're often told that it's act- we're told it's actually the well of Jacob. And the first thing you notice is that wells are often a meeting place for men and women. I mean, Jacob, after all, met Rachel by the well. And his father's servant met his mother by a well. Uh, and not just a well, uh, but th- not, not just this well, but a well. The second thing we notice about this is that the Samaritans, they hated their neighbours, the Jews. Uh, and the Jews hated the Samaritans because originally they were both Jews. But there was a terrible civil war, and it split them apart. And now the Jews no longer recognize the Samaritans as God's people. But uh, there was a time when they were one family under God. Would it be so again? Verse 7, the Samaritan woman enters the scene to draw water. And we notice three strange things about this. One, why is she going to the well in the middle of the day? No one goes for water in the middle of the day. That's the hottest part of the day, and that was hard work. You go at the end of the day when everyone else goes. Unless, of course, you're trying to avoid everyone. Whoever this woman was, she was shameful or unpopular enough to have to go to the well in the middle of the day on her own. The second thing we notice is that Jesus was on his own. John lets us know that the disciples have all gone back to town. The third unexpected thing, they speak. Usually they would have just kind of ignored each other. But Jesus says to her, "'Will you give me a drink of water?' Jews and Samaritans don't associate, we're told, much less a man and a woman alone, and she's surprised by this. "'You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. "'How can you ask me for a drink?' Perhaps she's thinking to herself, great, this is the last thing I need. Now some entitled Jewish man wants me to draw water for him. And if she thought that was strange, things were about to get a whole lot stranger. Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water yeah okay mate she's probably thinking uh, the gift of God wow I knew the Jews were arrogant they thought that their temple was the only temple but now this bloke he doesn't just think he's God's gift to women he thinks he's God's gift to Samaritans as well the irony right as she will soon find out who this guy is and what's this living water what's that all about have you had one of those conversations that you thought was about one thing And it turns out the other person thought the conversation was about something else. I have one of these with my daughter recently. Uh, She said, Daddy, I had a dream the other night. I said, oh, yes, darling, tell me about the dream. Oh, I had a dream. I was having a tea party and my pink unicorn was there and my purple unicorn was there and then my gold unicorn that I got for Christmas was there as well. I said, ah, okay, darling. I thought we were talking about the dream we had. Really, we were talking about her wish list for Christmas presents. (laughs) I thought we were talking about one thing, but actually we were talking about another. And that's what Jesus does here with this woman. She thinks that he's talking about water and physical thirst, but he's talking about spiritual thirst. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And just for good measure, she decides to bring this dew down a peg or two and says in verse 12, Are you greater than our father Jacob, uh, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? She's saying here, Come on, mate. We have the same ancestor, Jacob. You're no better than me, and you're certainly no better than Jacob unless, of course, he was greater than Jacob. This is the third time we've heard Jacob in the passage, haven't we? You see, Jesus is the new and greater Jacob with 12 disciples, not 12 sons. Jacob was also called Israel and Jesus is making a new nation. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will not thirst. Indeed, the water I give will well up In them to become a spring of living water welling up to eternal life okay she's getting a bit frustrated at this point this jews playing silly games with her never thirst again a spring of water welling up to eternal life but she misses that jesus is talking about spiritual thirst the deeper desire the holy spirit welling up within us and welling up to life so she fires back sarcastically sir Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming out here to draw water. Okay, she's taken the bait. In theory, this living water offer sounds pretty good, right? And Jesus begins to show his hand. This is no chance encounter. He knows this woman. He came to this well today to meet her. Go, call your husband and come back, he says. "'I have no husband,' she says, abruptly. "'Jesus said to her, "'You're right when you say you have no husband. "'The fact is that you've had five husbands, "'and the man you have now is not your husband. "'What you have said is quite true.'" Now, we don't know the exact details of this woman's life, but the five husbands could have been five men. The word for husband there is just man. It could have read, "'You're right when you say you have no man.'" You've had five men, and the man you have now is not your man. Ah, we know why she's at the well at midday. This woman was likely a serial adulterer, and the other woman would not have wanted her around. But her thirst for love, her thirst for belonging, has driven her on and on into every disappointing relationship every disappointing man who couldn't quench that thirst and her current man was someone else's man would she ever meet a man who would be her man that is what our unmet desire for God does to us and it's what it did to this woman you can almost see her she's flushed embarrassed angry she's so deeply seen by Jesus sir the woman said I can see that you are a prophet. Perhaps the true number of her adulteries was known only to her. And when Jesus says the number, she can see that he's a prophet. And then perhaps she deflects or she's curious and she brings up the temple and the bitter Jew-Gentile dispute. But before we look at our second point, let's stay here for a moment. Here in this moment with this woman and Jesus. This woman was thirsty, but not just for water. She went from man to man, and this thirst was destroying her. And that's the problem that we all have, don't we? This thirst, this desire for the next holiday, the next thing, more money, more security. Perhaps you've even known people like this, who've destroyed their lives and pushed everyone away, pursuing their relentless thirst. Perhaps you're like this, We all know this thirst for our souls. And here's the false belief of our society, that you can be satisfied with this world. That somehow if you just had enough, I don't know, money, uh, more this, more that, whatever it is, uh, we are homo thirstius. And this thirst drives us to do crazy things till eventually the thirst owns us and slowly destroys us. And often it's not necessarily wrong things, is it? It wasn't wrong for the Samaritan woman to desire a husband, but that desire, unchecked and unsatisfied, drove her to become an outcast, getting water in the middle of the day. So, what desire of yours would drive you away from everyone around you? What do you thirst for? How is it slowly killing you? Is it comfort? Is it your health? Is it your money? Is it the approval of others? Whatever it is, it'll always have you coming back for more. What you truly long for is God. God made your heart for himself and you will thirst till you quench your thirst in him. Our second point for theological discussion Uh, the temple and the Christ. Uh, In this point we see there's no place or no race that you can't worship God and all the nations thirst for God. Now someone might say at this point, okay, that's great for you Christians that you're satisfied in Jesus, but people are all different. Other people in other places, they thirst for other things. But here we see Jesus say, no, it's it's the need of the whole human race. We all need God. And through Jesus, there is now one temple where all can worship God in spirit and in truth. And because of this good news about Jesus, we must go to the nations of the world. Uh, This is why Christians care so deeply about international mission. And we see in uh, this part of our passage a theological discussion between the Samaritan woman and Jesus about where people should worship. Uh, let's pick up the passage of verse 19 verse 19 so the woman says i can see that you are a prophet our ancestors worshiped on this mountain but you jews claim the place where we must worship is in jerusalem now the samaritans uh, woman's question might seem a little strange to us but it was deeply important to her remember the samaritans they used to be jews and they used to be able to worship at the temple in jerusalem but now, thanks to that bitter civil war after King Solomon died, the people of God were, they were split in two, a bit like North Korea and South Korea. And the Samaritans could no longer go to the temple to worship God. And so the Samaritans, they decided to set up their own rival temple, and the Jews didn't like that. It was all well and good for Jesus to say God would satisfy the thirst of her soul. But as a Samaritan woman, she couldn't go down to the temple and worship God both as a Samaritan and as a woman. She would have been barred from going deeper in. But Jesus doesn't get drawn into that fight. He says something surprising. He says this, verse 21, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, believe. Ring, 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 ring. Remember that was the key word, wasn't it? Believing. Whenever you read a key word like that in John, belief, take note, because it means you're about to learn something about believing in Jesus. Jesus says, believe me. An hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Jesus ends their fight over which mountain to worship God on by saying a time, uh, literally an hour, will come when all that will change. Hour is another key word in the book of John. Uh, And by hour, he's referring to his death on the cross. Remember, it's at the temple that a sacrifice is made for sin. Uh, And uh, Jesus, just a little bit earlier, he clears out the temple and says, actually, the temple is his body now that's why he says salvation comes from the Jews in verse 22 It's because salvation comes from him he's come even to save Samaritans God is bringing his people back together and it doesn't stop there any person no matter their race or nation can worship God now here Jesus is turning a whole world upside down you don't have to go up to the temple to worship God no God is spirit He doesn't live in any temple made by human hands. People now worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus is that temple, that meeting place with God. More than that, we see in verse 23, God is now seeking out these worshippers. Before you had to go up to God, but now God comes to the people. Uh, This is why we as Christians care so deeply about global mission. This is why we support uh, missionaries all over the world. Um, It's why people give up their dreams to do their jobs in Australia, to go to other places and tell people God's word. Why? Because the Father is seeking worshippers, even at the ends of the earth.
0: Now, this must have all been very confusing
1: for the Samaritan woman. So she says in verse 25, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. Uh, When he comes, uh, he'll explain all of this. When God's saving king comes, he'll make sense of all of this. But she spoke better than she knew. Who is she speaking to? The Messiah himself. And So Jesus drops the biggest bomb yet, and he says, he declares, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I am the special promised king, the long promised saviour. Now, it's not to one of the important Pharisees, like Nicodemus, that Jesus reveals himself. No, to this Samaritan woman. She gets this incredible news. Even though it would have been very easy for Jesus not to speak to her. He was tired. She was a Samaritan and a woman in that culture. But God is seeking worshippers. And this woman was one of them. God cares about the little people. Like that uh, shy university student up at the campus at UniSQ. Like a poor child in a village in Indonesia. God cares about the little people like us. Now we can worship God because Jesus is God's saviour who would go to the cross to pay for our sins, to pay our price. That's how we quench the thirst of our souls, by worshipping God. So what does this woman do about all this? Well, she runs back to her village to tell everyone the fantastic news. God is looking to satisfy our deepest need to be saved from our sin and to quench our thirst in him. Our third point, the hunger and the harvest. In our final point, uh, we see two missions. Jesus' mission to go and do the will of his Father, to go to the cross so that we could be saved and enjoy God forever. And secondly, we see our mission. That like the Samaritan woman, we go to testify, uh, who goes to testify about Jesus. So we do the same. So where did we leave them? We left Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the world. Jesus has revealed that he's the long-awaited saviour of the world. This is a huge moment. You can kind of imagine her look of surprise. And in verse 27, the disciples kind of bumble back in from town with food. You can imagine them kind of, kind of talking to each other and they go silent as they see Jesus and the Samaritan woman and they think, why is Jesus talking to this Samaritan? But Jesus isn't worried. He's here to save her. That's his mission. The Samaritan woman is also not worried. She rushes off. Her mission was clear. She was going to tell everyone she knew about this man, the Messiah who knew everything she ever did. Including all her sin. How she'd been driven by her thirst into the arms of many men. Jesus knew exactly who she was. All her sin. And yet he came for her. And this woman, she must have been pretty persuasive, right? Because half the, cut, the town comes out. It's also pretty astonishing given she's a social outcast, right? People didn't want to see her. But now she's a changed woman. Just like Jesus, she now had streams of living water. Just like he said, she had streams of living water bubbling out of her as the news of Jesus just bubbles out of her in excitement. And there's an important detail here. See it in verse 28. Because remember, in the book of John, the details matter. She leaves her water jar behind. It shows that she was in a hurry, yes, but it shows that she's not thirsty anymore. Now, she, only thirst, uh, now uh, she now only thirsts to see those that she knows come to know Jesus. And they do. Many, uh, we see in that verse, many from the town come out and they believe in Jesus. and they, Because of her testimony. They say in verse 24, they say to the woman, We no longer just believe because of what you said. Now we heard for ourselves and we know this man really is the saviour from Uh, the Saviour of the world. You know, as I look around here today in this church, I bet everyone here knows someone that they'd love to see saved. I bet you all know someone who you'd love to hear say those words. I no longer just believe because of what you said, I've seen Jesus for myself. And we are now so satisfied in Jesus that we thirst for others to know him. And so that's uh, why at our church we're encouraging each other to pray for our neighbours regularly, by name. Uh, When we put out the bins or when we check the mail, just pray. Uh, I pray for uh, Mrs. Brown on that side, God, that you might save her. You might use me to come to know her. And I pray for uh, John, uh, Jenny, James, Juliet and Jingo uh, on the other side. Lord, that you might save them and that you might give me a chance to to speak to them. And we do that regularly as we put out our bins or maybe check the mail, whatever it is. Because I think, wouldn't it be wonderful to hear them say those words? I heard what you said, but now I know Jesus myself. Uh, Let me finish uh, by praying for us that we might do that. Because let me remind you, uh, Easter is coming. Uh, I read a survey recently uh, where they asked, some uh, they asked a group of non-Christians um, if uh, a close relative or a, family or a friend asked you to come to church at Easter, four out of ten said they would go. These are just random people in the study, and four out of ten people said if someone invited me, I would go. <coughs> isn't that amazing, isn't it? I uh, said, so let me encourage you. Easter is coming. And many people we know are trying to quench the thirst of their souls in so many things, and none of them satisfy like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that in him you have made a way for us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we thank you, Lord, that now we can quench the thirst of our souls to know uh, and love you. Thank you for quenching that thirst for us today. Father, we pray for those that we know and love, our neighbours, our friends, our family that don't know Jesus, that are being driven on by their crazed thirst into anything that's not you, and that taste gets bitterer and bitterer for them. Lord, we pray that you would save them, that you make us brave to hold out life to them like this Samaritan woman. Father, we long to hear them say those words, that they now know you and are satisfied in you as you deserve, our glorious and wondrous God. Amen.